John chapter 15, John chapter 15, and we're going to read the first eight verses together here this morning, but uh, I, I hesitate to say that this is the text because really Matthew, John 15 as a whole is really is a whole idea, and I want you to, uh, as you're at home today, take uh, take John 15 and and read it from cover to cover. That whole chapter you'll find is uh, is dealing with the same subject material. He doesn't leave. He doesn't break conversation. He doesn't change subjects. Jesus is having the same conversation, and he uses an illustration, and he calls himself the vine. And what happens many times is uh, we are tempted to get into verse number eight and think, okay. Vine is done. All the vine stuff is behind us now. We'll get to the rest of John chapter 15. That's not how John 15 is understood. John 15, it, we, to understand what it means to abide in Christ as a vine is for us to understand the context. And uh, by the way, that's the way you understand Scripture, is by understanding the context in which it was spoken. And so if God will allow, what I want to do today is help us to understand the, the main point of John chapter 15. And I believe by understanding what, what he's trying to get across to us, we'll understand what it means to abide in the vine that much more. Okay, so uh, look with me in John chapter 15. We'll read, as I said, just the first uh, first eight verses, and you'll pick up a theme here, and I'll probably, I'll try not to preach as we read, okay? That's what I'm saying. John chapter 15, verse number one. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Do you see a trend, right? Well, the, the trend here is fruitfulness, okay? So it's almost as if we're to understand the measure and value of the vine and branch is fruit, okay? So, uh, but how we get there is something I think will, will be an important part of the discussion. Verse three, now are ye clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, that except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. He says it again, I am the vine, ye are the branches, and he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Man, can't get away from that fruitfulness, can you? For without me, ye can do nothing. That's a big statement. Now, before I was saved, I was able to get up in the morning and brush my teeth. Before I was saved, I was able to serve myself meals. I was able to live an entire day. I was able to kind of go through life. So, so by this, does he mean nothing without me? You can do nothing? Or is he speaking of the context of fruitfulness? In other words, apart from Christ, you can do nothing that is of value fruit-wise. You can do nothing that produces value. And so he goes on. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me... He is cast forth as a branch, verse number six says, and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. And there we go. People say, there it is. Why haven't I gotten my Ferrari yet? Right? Now, hold on. What is the context? Anything that you ask of God that will produce fruit, Jesus will in no way deny you. He is talking about fruitfulness. Are your prayers leading to fruitfulness? And if not, then he has no interest in answering your prayers. He's interested in the fruitfulness, okay? Verse number uh, eight, herein, why the fruit thing, Jesus? Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So 
shall ye be my disciples. You know, anything that has life, anything that has real value in life has a hidden life. Um, We have a tree in our front yard called a sweet gum tree. And uh, basically, it's a a nasty, disgusting monster because if you know anything about the sweet gum tree, it drops these stupid seed pods they call gumballs. That sounds a whole lot more enjoyable than they actually are because if you allow them to exist for even three minutes after they hit the ground, you will find that same stupid gumball there 10 years later. Drives me bananas. I can't stand those things. I say all that to say the sweet gum tree has all of these these, um, roots that run along the top of our yard, just mess the whole thing up make it look ugly. You know how it works. And these big old nasty roots are running out across the top of our yards. So I was telling somebody about this problem I've got that's really keeping me up at night. And uh, not really, that's lame. Uh, but I was telling him about my problems with the sweet gum tree. And I said, you know, all of its roots are up on the top of the yard. And the guy laughed at me. He says, no, if you can see roots on the top of your yard, you've got to know there are many, many more that are running underneath. It's a reminder to me. You know, we even have this phrase called tip of the iceberg, right? And we use that, that kind of a colloquial phrase that we use. That we, we're saying there that you might see something. You might see an event happen, but it is just the tip of the iceberg. We are giving credence to the fact that whatever you see here, there is actually something deeper. There's something more, that there is more to the life that you have. And what we see is just the tip of the iceberg. We see this small measured piece, but there is something even deeper going on down below. Jesus deals with this idea of the root that really exists to produce that of value. You can see something of value in a person's life, and you know that the value that is in their life, it either they came up with it or it came from some other place. Jesus is explaining that some other place where these things come from. He speaks of it as a vine. Now, the Bible uses this image of the vine, and I want to go real quick through the image that he gives us in Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew, John chapter 15. John chapter 15 gives us three participants. Number one is the Father, and I love the fact that, excuse me, Jesus is the vine. Jesus is the vine, and he says that right from the beginning. We're just going to follow it chronologically. I am the vine. He'll go on to describe himself as the true vine. In other words, that is to say there are other places where you could draw life, you could draw value, you can draw uh, benefit, you could try to be fruitful in other places. And by the way, that is true. You have it, there's an entire system today called the blogosphere, and these blogs exist for the purpose of seven quick steps to help you live better tomorrow, right? Five easy steps to make better you know, whatever it might be. And their whole idea is that if you'll do these things here, you will produce the fruitfulness you want. You will, if you'll do these six things, then you'll produce fruit in this part of your life. And if you do these five things, it'll help you produce fruit in this part of your life. You'll, you'll, be, you'll be manlier, you'll have a more beautiful beard, those kind of things that are really important and life-sustaining things in life. And, and so you'll do these things, and then you'll get the fruit that you want or the benefit that you want. That will be the result 
on the other side. But you got to do what the blogger says or there'll be no fruit, right? That happens all over. Our entire culture is driven by this. You'll, you've got to listen to what this politician says. You have to listen to what this influencer says. You have to listen to what this person And if you'll listen to them, they're promising some benefit, or we could call it fruit, on the other side. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said you could skip all of that and just abide in me. And I'll produce the fruit that remains. I'll produce real fruit if you'll skip all of the noise and all of the distractions and just abide in me. The second player we see in this illustration is the father as the husbandman. And by the way, I think it's incredible that Jesus allows us to his father. And it is important for us to recognize that in Jesus' eyes, you are always getting two for one. It, it, Jesus never cut the father out. In fact, it's as if from Jesus' vantage point, the value to the Christian is that they get the father. You, if you come to me, you get him. I, I'm in, in me is him and him is me. And, and so if you have me, you also have the father. And it it reminds us that we are not to shortchange the Father. We are to be about the Father and love the Father. He is, Jesus even allows him to be our Father. It'd be one thing if Jesus came and said, hey, my dad's better than your dad. And we would all say, well, yeah, because he created everything. But then he says, I've got an idea. How about you make him your dad too? Well, okay. So then that means we're brothers and we'd all be like this big family thing, right? Jesus says, that's my idea. Let's do it that way. And that's what Jesus introduces to us. It's not that there is a father out there somewhere, but that he's your father and he is my father. And it just makes sense that he would want us or that we would want then to draw ourselves to the father. And so Jesus is demonstrating his father as the husband. The husbandman does a couple of things. One is the husbandman purges the life of the branch that is producing fruit. So if you are fruitful, just know that the father is going to be removing things from your life that don't belong, okay? So maybe even one of the indicators that you are on the path to fruitfulness is that God's clipping things out of your life that shouldn't be there. And I'm, I love it. I watch in the lives of young Christians, man, God starts working on them, and I've watch so many young Christians just say, well, I don't need all this, these distractions. This junk's gone. This is gone. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to just give my heart completely and totally to Christ and whatever he wants, that's what I want to do. If it ain't in this book, I ain't doing it. You know, weird things like that. And they just, they're just following after the Lord. I've also watched, sadly, some of those disciples over a period of time. I've watched God clipping stuff out of their lives and removing distractions. And the more they surrendered and the more they were willing, the more God can move them towards fruitfulness and even quicker in the pace he would just draw them to more and more fruitfulness. And then all of a sudden, it was almost as if God cut too deep. And then they stopped. And like even backpedaled a little bit. You know what, what I've watched in God's, in God's people over almost 14 years of ministry here? I've watched time and again, heartbreakingly, someone who had been completely open to the pruning of God stop being open to the pruning of God and within about six months, all the old pruning just whoosh right back into their life. Oh, what is that? The Bible says that the Lord is, Lord is only pruning in the lives of the ones who are moving towards fruitfulness. 
So what is he doing in the life of the one who's not fruitful, the one who's not trying to allow Christ to abide in them and them in Christ and producing fruitfulness? What happens to them? The Bible says this. He clips them, he cuts the branch, and then throws it away and it's withered, right? Oh, in a little bit, he's going to say they're gathered together and burned in the fire. Now, here's, here, here, I just need to throw a warning out here, okay? First off is that every illustration breaks down. There's just no way for us to be able to understand our relationship with the Father, relationship with Jesus Christ, or understand their relationship with each other through the picture of a vine. Okay, just there's nothing divine about a vine. If I brought a vine out here, you're not going to look at it and say, oh, I finally get it. Right? There's nothing about it because it's a picture. It's just an illustration. There are no full boundaries, and every illustration breaks down. We could, we could use any illustration of the sun, and, and every one of them break down at some point. And so we, we end up at this place where we say, okay, so then what is it that he means when he says the, the fruitless vine gets clipped? What's beautiful is that Jesus knows illustrations break down. And so what he does is he fills in the areas that we need to know. But then he doesn't fill in the areas we don't need to know. Here's a couple of things. Now, three options that I think could be happening here when he clips the vine that is not fruitful. Okay, first thing, someone might say, uh, okay, so first option would be that they are, maybe one person would say, maybe that means he's going to toss them in hell. He's going to cut them from the vine. He's going to throw them out in the yard. They'll be gathered together and thrown in hell. Can I tell you, I believe the opposite of that. I don't believe that is true in any way. I don't think you can get this context to twist to that. I think you would have to really manipulate all of the passage to try to get it so that the fruitless vines in in the fires of hell. Beyond that, it's not biblically sound. The reality is is that if if you didn't produce fruit, God cut you through you in hell, that's works-based salvation, and the Bible teaches the opposite of that. Beyond that, that's works sanctification, and the Bible doesn't teach that either. In fact, the opposite is being taught. He is not teaching works sanctification. He is teaching abiding for the sanctification of the life of the believer. He is teaching Jesus' grace as the source of life for the believer. He is not then going to say, oh, and if you don't do it the way I want it, into hell you go. <laughs> that's not what the text is teaching. And that's not anything like Jesus has taught at any other points in Scripture. And you'd really have to twist your eyes to get that one to fit. So there are three options. Other one, it might be, um, okay, so maybe he just removes them from the earth. The problem is, is that I, I haven't seen God do anything drastically beautiful like that before. I mean, wouldn't it be great if a person apostatized against God, they're walking through Walmart on Monday, and boom, their heart explodes? I mean, wouldn't that just be, not, oh, don't look at me weird like that. It is so clean if God would just do it that way. Somebody walks away from Jesus, boom, you're going to get hit by an 18-wheeler. It's done, right? Everybody knows it. Whoa, I shouldn't do it that way. Whatever you do, don't apostatize. I, I know, I know. It sounds sick, except the parts in scripture where, you know, Korah stands up against Moses and the earth opens up, 250 people, all of them in the hole, the earth comes back closed, and what does the rest of Israel do? They go, uh, okay, so Korah was wrong, we're not going to do that anymore, right? Now what did it do? It automatically put an end to the lie, right? Or the day that they, they built the golden calf, right? Moses comes down out of the mountain, crushes the calf, throws the gold out on the water, and makes them drink it! 
I love that. That's brilliant. All the rest of the Israelites have to go, hey, you think we ought to build another golden calf? They're like, no, no, that was awful. Why? Because now they know it's plain in everybody's mind. That's not what we should be participating in. Don't think I don't have another one. When Elijah comes after the, the, the priests of Baal, what does he do? He slaughters all of them. He kills every one of them. And all of a sudden, the people have a revival. They're like, nope, don't want Baal. We're good. We'll take Jehovah. We're going to go with him. Why? Because whenever somebody apostatizes and then something act of God happens to them, then it's easy for all of the other sheep to go, oh, that guy's wrong. Don't follow him. That guy was dead wrong. We shouldn't do it. And that's happening today. You know, in kind of in big news, there are in big ways believers who, I say believers, big air quotes here, but Christian leaders that we were told for years, you should follow these guys because they wrote this book or they wrote this song and they're awesome Christians and now they've abandoned God completely and now they're on the LGBTQ plus XYZ, whatever it is now, and they're on that bandwagon and they're over here waving this totally different flag than Jehovah's and we wonder, well, what happened? Why in the world? You know that's confusing. It is confusing to the body. It's confusing to the churches. It's confusing to the, to the lost person. Wouldn't it be easier if God just, you know, act of God and it was over? I'm not asking for that to happen. I'm just saying it's cleaner for us as believers to know right and wrong when something like that happens. I don't see it happening in big ways like that, do you? And so therefore, I don't believe that's what's being said here in this text, right? Otherwise, we'd have to be able to make that normative and then run that across every time God finds a branch that's not producing fruit. We'd have to treat it normal. And so since it's not, I don't believe that's the context. Your second thing, uh, it could be that God is removing them from effectiveness, This is the one I think he's talking about. In other words, God is clipping away the branches that are not producing effectiveness. They're not producing fruit. By the way, that is the context of the whole passage. The whole passage is fruitfulness, 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 fruitfulness. What if I'm not producing fruit? Then he can't produce fruit, you're out. And he clips them. They go to heaven. They're still going to heaven. Don't freak out, right? They're still going to heaven. But but they're not producing the fruit that is so necessary in the life of a Christian, so necessary to the experience of following Jesus, and they are cut away from it. Hear me out. I don't believe this is permanent. I believe that someone who has been unfruitful for the Lord Jesus Christ for 10 years today could run back to Jesus, abide in Christ, and produce fruit. The reason I say that is because he'll even hint to it as we go through the text here what it looks like to be broke off from Jesus and then connected back to him. In other words, if God is looking for, fruit, for fruitful believers and then I put sin in my life after years of fruitfulness, God, I should then expect to be able to repent of my sin and go back to fruitful positioning. And so I see here that that, that is what is being said here, that that's at least my understanding of it, that we can be removed from effectiveness or removed from the efficiency of producing fruitfulness because apart from me, Jesus said himself, you can do nothing. So he is warning that the great danger, at least the context in this passage is, the grave danger is that a believer would claim the name of Jesus and never produce fruit. And so we find the warning here that the father, as the husbandman, would even remove somebody from the ability to produce fruit until they got back to Jesus. Okay, let's move forward here. Then he introduces us to the branch. The branch is you and me. It's the believer's. It's those who've called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
hold on, that, that's not quite true. It's not quite true that he's talking about believers here. If you look at verse number eight, he's not talking about believers. He's talking about disciples. In other words, it is one thing to believe Jesus Christ. It's another thing to full-on follow Jesus Christ. Even in Jesus' day, there were 120 75 at one point, there were at least a handful of others that all followed after Jesus. There were 12 standing at the last day, right? But what is that? That's an indicator to us that there's a difference between loving Jesus, going with Jesus, following Jesus, and actually being his disciple. For all the thousands of people being saved in Paul's ministry, there was one Paul. For all the thousands being saved during Paul's ministry, there were a handful of people that were all in following after Jesus. And what we find here in this text is, I believe what, Paul, what, what Jesus is, is reminding us here, really is teaching us is, you will be my disciples if you'll allow me to produce fruit in you. Look at verse number eight with me. Is that not what he's saying? Verse number eight, he says this. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Well, how do I be a disciple? So, produce fruit. That's what he's saying. It's a direct equation to producing fruit and being the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so now we're getting an idea of what is happening in the the picture, the illustration of I am the vine, ye are the branches, my father's the husband. Okay, so there's an illustration really pouring out here for us to see. So then what has God given to us to help us to to let fruit happen in our lives? The Father has given you many good gifts, one being your proximity to Jesus. Jesus says, abide in me. That word abide, some people define the idea of abiding by the definition of the word abide. Not bad, it's not a bad idea, it just doesn't give us the full instruction that Jesus gives us. But just consider the idea. Abide in me. Jesus says it's as if we we can rest We can dwell in Jesus. We can actually be in Jesus' presence. That's amazing that that God allows us full access to Christ. And Christ is the one we're to abide in. So what is one of the tools or one of the graces that God has given for us to be able to produce fruit? He's given us the proximity to Jesus Christ. The second thing he gives us is he gives us purging from the Father. He's clipping the sin out of your life. He's clipping old habits. He's cutting that old way of thinking away from your life. And he is producing through this exercise of of purging and cleansing your life of things that shouldn't be there and the distractions that shouldn't be there. He is, through this exercise, making you clearer and cleaner and purer and ready to produce even more fruit. That's what the text tells us. So we recognize then that there is a production of fruit that comes from the pruning and cleaning of the Father. Then the third grace that Jesus gives, or his Father gives, excuse me, is his word. Look at verse number three. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Can I tell you today, God has given us his word. His word is a grace from God for the purpose of purifying your life. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We have God's word in our hand today for the purpose of allowing you to abide in Jesus Christ. It'll teach you of him. It'll let you know him. It'll let you understand him. You can fully come to know him and him to know you, and you can relate in relationship with Jesus right here through his 
word. We recognize then that Jesus is, God has given us these graces. We can draw close to Christ. We have the promise of pruning from our Father, and we have the ever-present word of God, and these great graces are given to you and I for the purpose of, of bearing fruit. And the reason I call them graces, graces are a gift, but I think it's important for us to recognize the purpose of grace in our life, because what often happens is I will say something like, hey, you're supposed to produce fruit. And someone says, when I leave here, I'm going to get out there and make some fruit. And we go out in the parking lot and we stand there and we go, fruit. Now, it won't happen. You can't do it. You could do that all day long. You could try to think your way to fruit. You could try to make yourself fruit, produce fruit. You could run around and try to, try to get fruit happening. And, and you could, I mean, you could really, really, really work. The Bible says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So he is allowing us to understand here that the command of God is not to go out and somehow conjure up fruit, but rather the call is to experience the grace of God. Its effects will produce fruit. You say, well, then how do I produce fruit? Uh, I just told you. Rest in Jesus. Abide with him. Let the Father do his pruning and then rest in his word as truth. Those three graces are the graces that the Christian needs to produce fruit. You say, if I'm not producing fruit, is it because of one of those things? One, two, maybe all three. By the way, these aren't three steps to fruitful living. These are the graces that God has given to you to rest in. You see, so so often, we take the word of God as a tool, and we're over here trying to get things to happen with his word. Christ said, hey, how about you take your, his word and just abide in me? And then when you go and you're just resting and abiding in me, now you can live what I'm teaching you out there through the word. That will, we'll give it skin. Watch this, okay? So before we go any further, there is a fourth grace that God gives us and one that we're rather uncomfortable with. And that fourth grace is called uh, his commandment. His commandment. <laughs> Not as popular as the abiding. We really like the abiding. The commandment thing really ticks me off. I thought we were saved from the law. I thought I wasn't going to have to follow any more rules if I followed after Jesus. I thought, Jesus is all you need, and then there are no more commandments. I said, I was in the first service. I even said the word law a couple of times. I think I was grieving some people. Jesus is not producing a law unless you consider commandments laws. And, of course, laws are made up of commandments. And so don't get uncomfortable with it. But the idea we recognize from Scripture is that Jesus sets us free from the law, okay? Right, we get it. We are no longer under the law, Paul teaches us. Totally get it. Jesus said, keep my commandments. So there is something about being no longer under the punitive punishment of breaking the law and being able to follow the commandment of Jesus Christ that do not equate. They're not the same thing. Jesus says this, keep my commandment, okay? Then we'll keep his commandments. Verse 12, let's look there. This is my commandment. Okay, Jesus, bring it. Give it to us. Ready? Here. That you love one another as I have loved you. Uh, Okay, so you're telling me that the commandment from God is go love people. Yep, that's it. That's the command. 
Hold on, hold on. Actually, he is illustrating for us the grace of Jesus Christ in the command, which is really tricky. That Jesus is allowing us to understand that the grace of Jesus Christ is different than the old law in the fact that he has equipped you for its obedience. Let's play it out, okay? Let's play out the commandment, love one another. Let's go back to abide in Christ, okay? So Jesus, let's imagine abiding in Christ is the vine, Jesus holding out his hands, and the believer simply putting his hands in the hands of the vine, right? That's all the branch is doing. He just places his hands right here. Now, from this position, the branch receives the love of Jesus Christ. By the way, I, right now, am receiving the love of Jesus Christ. I'm receiving it. I have the love of Christ. I have his acceptance. I have his mercy. He, I deserve. I deserve the act of God heart explosion in Walmart. I deserve that. The Bible instead gives me mercy. And Jesus is constantly pouring his love out to me. And, and you may not know it. You may not stop and recognize it right now. But you would do yourself a big favor if you would just stop right where you are. You're not doing anything. Don't, don't pick up your Bible. Just stop right there. Please know If you are a born-again believer, you are receiving the love of God right now. No, 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 not back when you were saved, and and not back when you were right with God, not back whenever you had, no, 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 stop right now. If you've claimed the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he is pouring his love into you. The mercy I didn't deserve, grace I didn't deserve, the fellowship and friendship, those times where I have been without hope and this inner peace, this calm, this tranquility in the middle of storms, just this, I've just received so much of his love. And I I didn't, when it was hard, and then when it was easy, it stopped. I was receiving it the entire time, just sometimes hardships let us know. Sometimes hardships, going through hard things, remind us that he still loves us. He still cares for us. But he's giving his love to me right now. He's giving his love to you right now. And, and as, a, as a branch holding hands with the vine, if you'd imagine that image again, he's, I just have all of this love coming my way. I have all of this forgiveness for sins and all the shameful things that Satan puts in the back of my head. And he says, remember you did this. And I can just pull him back around here where Jesus sees him and and all of a sudden, I see the cross clearly. It's just that's the love of God pouring over sinners who deserve nothing. And he's washing us clean, constantly washing me clean, constantly keeping me right, constantly pruning, constantly working, washing the believer over in love. And then he says, listen, love one another as I have loved you. here's where we run into danger. We imagine in our minds, okay, I'm going to get all the love from Jesus I need, and then I'm going to run over here, and I'm going to give my love away. No, not not too much, not too much. I need to, hold on, I'm feeling weak. I need to go back and get more. And we come back, and we get more. Oh, it's so good to be loved by Jesus. Oh, it feels so good to be just with the Lord right now and enjoying this right now. I don't even want to leave because I know when I'm out there, there's a bunch of soul suckers that are going to take all the love away, and I just, I'm right here right now, and it just feels so good to be with Jesus. And Okay, fine, Lord, I'll do what you want. We'll take all the love that we have right now, and we'll come back. And we'll, oh, fine, can't stand you people, but I'll be loving to you. And, and all the, It's because we're getting the wrong idea that they're taking love from us. They're not taking love from us. No more than the hose in your yard is taking water away from 
the, the yard's not taking water away from you as the hose. It's coming from a different source. In other words, you were never asked to break away from the vine. You were never asked to go off on your own and love others. The idea of abiding is I am being loved right now, present tense. I'm not waiting to be loved later. I'm not waiting to get out of this mess so I can feel loved. I am accepting that I am fully and completely loved by Jesus Christ. And when I go into my neighborhood and I bump into somebody and try to follow Christ's commandment, and that is to love those that hate you, I don't have to worry about them loving me or not. I don't, I don't, I'm not running out of acceptance. I can accept them. I can love them because I'm receiving it in real time. Right now, I'm being loved. I'm pouring out myself to someone else, but in the very presence, right now, I'm being loved. I don't have to worry about if my love's run out. I don't have to worry about if he stopped loving me somewhere along the line. And I don't have to go back and try to connect back up. I'm already abiding in him. So often, we get this idea. We, we take the word of God and we'll read, of it, read it as a morning. And we're like, okay, I've got my 15 minutes in. I've prayed my prayer, and I'm going to have to go out and face the world. And we close the Bible up, and we go out in our power and do nothing. Oh, we go through lots of motion. We go through lots of activities. We say lots of stuff. We're kind. We smile. But all the while, we're wishing we could go back to the place where we were being fed. And the reality is you never had to leave it. The Word of God was not about you getting a little bit right now, but rather the Word of God was about bearing in your heart and taking Him with you. And everywhere you go, you're never untethered from the constant source of his love and like he loved you love someone else you can pour it out freely and I can love you till it hurts because I've got love coming towards me and I can love in a sacrificial way because I was loved in a sacrificial way and it pours through me as a constant conduit to everyone around me until everywhere I look there's fruit This is the picture, the pattern of what Jesus is doing in each and every one of you. No wonder he thinks of us as a vine, as a branch. He thinks of us us as those who are extending his his own love, extending his own value, his his own kindness, his own mercy, his own forgiveness, his own blessings, his own grace, constantly flowing through you. As I have loved you, love someone else. Well, I don't know. It really wears me down. It might be that you keep getting disconnected over here. Don't get disconnected over here and then pour out generously over here. Now, look, you only have to love people as he's loved you. So as soon as he stops, you can stop. That's what's awesome about this. As soon as, he, as soon as he gives you the cold shoulder, you can start giving the cold shoulder. As soon as he starts manipulating you, you can manipulate other people. It would be great. we just go right back to it. As he loves you. He's, he's loving through you. And so often we get disconnected. Uh, the biggest danger in the life of a believer is not that we don't go out and love. It's that we go out and love without him. The greatest concern in the life of every Christian should not be, have I been kind enough? Have I been loving enough? Did I check all the boxes of kindness and love and honor and this and forgiveness and this? Did I get the, oh, I missed a box. No. The biggest concern in the heart of every believer should be, am I treating others the way Jesus treats me? Am I showing the same forgiveness? Am I showing the great same concern? And by the way, this extends to every area of your life. And I'm just going to touch on a lot of different ones real quick, okay? Uh, that is my practices and habits in front of people. 
it's showing love or it's showing no concern for them, one or the other. And if I live my life as Christ loves me, can I be real honest with you? The decisions that we make about the kind of things we should let in our life has nothing to do with right, wrong, does it meet this standard, does it not meet this standard, has everything to do with the fact that did Jesus love me that same way? Jesus has done nothing but set a perfect standard for me. And if I will just follow after him, my life will be devoid of all the threats and, and, and entanglements of sin, and I can avoid every one of them. And we have believers that won't think about another Christian when they're putting their clothes on in the morning. They don't think about another Christian when they turn their TV on or when they post something on Facebook. It blows my mind how unchristian God's people can be when we post crud on Facebook. Come on! Love! Love. Only to the extent you've been loved. But love, pour it out freely. We're just these conduits. And by the way, Jesus knew that this was going to be the case. He knew that you were going to go out and love people who were not loving to you. How do you know? It's, it's in our text. <laughs> like I didn't study it from this. Come on. You knew I had no, I, you know I have notes up here for crying out loud. Of course he knew this already. You need to embrace the fact that you are not loved by the world. Just embrace it right now, and it will save you a whole lot of trouble. The Bible tells us verse number 19. Look at verse number 19. I, I closed my Bible in a fit. Can you bring that scripture up real quick? Here, verse 19, okay. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hated you. Now understand what scripture is saying here, okay? The world will not accept your love very well. In fact, Jesus told us to love those that hate you and pray for them that despitefully use you. I hate that commandment. But that's what his commandment was. That we love those who hate us. So, understand with me the three things, the three graces that God has given to us to make us fruitful. If I could say them this way, I'll say them this way, okay? The first is, accept your acceptance. Accept your acceptance. Look at verse 16 with me. Gentlemen, show me for verse 16. Come on. There we go. Good. Henceforth. Nope. Are we there? Oh, 15. <laughs> You're correcting my notes. Thank you. Uh, Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. In other words, Jesus said, I'm not calling you my servant. You don't serve me. You're my friend. We're in this together. Can I tell you today, the key for being able to demonstrate our love to others is accept the fact that you've been accepted. Just accept it. I've been accepted. I I can't go into the world today and someone hate me so much that I no longer have acceptance. In fact, I can cling to the acceptance of Jesus Christ, and if I'm resting in that acceptance, I can come over here, still connected to my conduit of acceptance, and I can come across somebody who is hateful and and with vitriol in their heart. They can take from me. They can steal from me. they 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 can destroy the things I love, and I have the ability to give them love and even acceptance Not because of my own ability, but because I already have a free-flowing conduit of acceptance and love directly to me. I don't need theirs to support me. I've got it already. I don't need them to provide it. And so the Bible tells us, in verse number 15, just accept the fact that you've been accepted. Then consider with me, reflect. Now look at verse, uh, I do want to, I'm I'm turning back, hold on. Verse number 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And ordained you 
that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. So I've already been I've already been accepted. I've already been approved and ordained for the purpose of bearing fruit. That's God's plan. Then I want you to understand, number two, that we then reflect the love that we enjoy. So verse number 17, the Bible tells us this. These things I, have, I command you that you love one another. We've just gone through the picture. You remember the picture? I'm holding the love of, the, of Christ. I'm abiding in him. I'm experiencing his love in real time. And when I go into the shop or when I go into the workplace or when I go around my family and they're not loving and they're not accepting and they're bringing their drama, I don't have to get connected and tied up in the middle of it. I can just pour love out on them. And somebody else will come over and they'll say, do you not... How can you put up with them? Do you not see that that's just the, that is the most cantankerous person I've ever met in my life? And you're just pouring out love to that person. You say, look, I, I have Jesus. I've got all the love I need. I'm just sharing some of it with her. I'm just sharing some of it with him. What is that? It's us living out the love that we already got to enjoy. And then we come to this third and last one. And that is embrace your separation from the world. Embrace it. Just own it. The world doesn't like me. I'm good with that. I don't need it to change. I don't need to fix it. I'm okay with that. It's only because they hated Jesus that they hate me. Can you take an illustration like right out of this last month? Consider this with me. Can you kind of think back in all the noise? It's, it's felt like 52 years this last month. It's just felt like a really long time. I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of tired of all the apologies. Have you noticed how many apologies we have in our culture going on right now? I apologize for this thing I said. I apologize for this thing I wore. By the way, I did this one time. I apologize for this. I apologize for this. All these social media posts. And then, of course, the news got to get in the middle of it. And then you get somebody who says some dumb thing, and everybody's going to be mad, and they're going to quit unless he apologizes. And I think, well, there went freedom of speech just right out the window. We just kicked that guy to the curb. What a, what a nuisance of a, of a you know, a law it is. And uh, we recognize that everybody's, everybody's got to apologize. Everybody's got everybody's to come back, and if they said something that somebody doesn't like, four or five of them will gang up, and now you're not in anymore. You're out. And if you don't live, you're not, you're not part of this little thing, and you're not part of this little thing, and you're not part of this little thing, then you're out. You're no good. And they cancel everybody. You notice how much junk gets canceled in the last 30 days? It's cancel. You know, we don't want you anymore. You're out. We don't like it. We needed you 38 minutes ago. We don't need you anymore. You're out of here. You're done. I'll be honest with you. My, my attitude of apologies are stop it. Just knock it off. Just don't. Unless you truly, truly regret what you've done, and you're not just upset for the results you got for it, unless you actually have a hurt in your heart because of what the pain you've caused somebody else, keep your apology to yourself. It's all grandstanding. It's all accolades. Oh, okay, great, wonderful. I'm going to be one of those people who just puts out an apology for no reason this week. I'm just going to apologize for some random thing I've never done. But that way people will think I'm a better person than I was to not do it. At any rate, the idea is, is that we have so many apologies. You don't understand what that is. It's the world operating in the only currency it's got. Understand the currency. The only currency the world has to offer to anyone else is acceptance. Oh, you put a square on your Instagram. We accept you. That's all they've got. You know what, you, you know what happened when you didn't put a square on your Instagram? three of your own children died. That's what happens. No, none of that happened. Nothing bad happened when you didn't put the square out. Nothing good happened when you did put the square out. You know the only tool they had? Acceptance. That's it. Nothing happened. I didn't put a square out, guys. 
I apologize. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't apologize. I didn't put a square out. I didn't shrink. I didn't go, my, my left leg didn't get shorter. This is my right leg. I do know that. <laughs> I, I did, I did become dyslexic, but uh, no. I, nothing happened to me. Not, my whole day went on normal. It was just perfectly normal. I, I didn't get canceled by anybody. Nothing happened. You know what? I didn't have to exchange in the world's barter system. The world has a barter system, and it's this. We accept you or we don't. Do you know what breaks my heart? It's how many accepted, loved, cared for, sacrificed for God's people who have the constant flow of Jesus' love in their life at all times they have access to it. And they're out there making little noises, trying to find acceptance, trying to find one other person to po- like a post or one other person to say that they're on the inside. And we're out there chasing the filth of this world, trying to gain acceptance we were never meant to have. God's people, can I tell you, you're free. You're free of that. It's not anything you need, and once you have it, you won't want it. You're free. And instead, you're on the reverse of this. You're the one who has all the acceptance. And you know what's awesome? Is when the accepted people who have this flowing river of acceptance in their life go out and find unacceptable people. The people have been pushed out. They're not rich enough. They're not good looking enough. They don't have this going for them. They don't have this going for them. And this isn't, they're not up to snuff here. They don't drive the right car. They don't. And somehow they're on the out. And to find somebody with enough, enough knowledge of Christ's love for them that they can come alongside and say, no, you're accepted too. Oh, hey, I accept you. Oh, you, you over there, that's really hard to accept. And I kind of ticked off at you most of the time. I accept you too. You see, the call of the believer is to go as a conduit of God's unending acceptance and love for hurting and broken people and just give it to them, to love them, to care for them, to tell them that they're sinners and that they need a Savior and that Christ would love them and and they could connect to a never-ending love as well. They They could have the same kind of love that you're living in. What breaks my heart are God's people who, the way we dress, the way we think, the things we watch, the stuff we do, it's all trying to fit into this system we were never meant to be a part of. Christian, you're free. Accept that you're already accepted. Just give away the love you've already enjoyed. And then just know that there's a portion of the world you're going to have to love even though they don't love you. This is what it means to abide in Christ.